grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So last week we considered what the cross is as we first thought about what Christ's cross is, but then also the crosses that we often have to bear in this life. As we heard Jesus say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we saw that the, the very essence of the crosses that we bear in this life is a shadow and a reflection of the cross of Christ, of self-denial for the sake of the gospel. It's the denial of our sinful flesh. As Christ's cross crushes and destroys our sinful flesh, and as we bear our crosses, our sinful flesh is put down in its proper place. As our flesh is opposed to God, it wants very little to do with him, and so it wants nothing to do with his cross or our smaller crosses. As it says in Galatians, For the lust of the flesh is against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. They are contrary to one another, so that they do not do the things that you wish to do. And that's why the cross that you bear in this life, or the many crosses that you bear in this life, are good. The cross is good for us because it opposes the evil that dwells within us. And so as we often will experience sorrow or suffering or pain that we feel, as we live under Jesus' calling to deny ourselves in following him, we can say that that is good for us. It should give us cause to rejoice to know that our sinful flesh is being robbed of its desire. St. Paul says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust, or in other words, don't provide your sinful nature with the things that it hungers and thirsts for. And why? Because those things are poisonous for you. Take a moment to think about what the desires of the flesh are. Maybe you have one in particular to you? Are they things that draw you closer to Christ and his mercy and his provision for you? Do they drive you deeper into your vocations as spouse or child or parent or grandparent or church member? Do they make you more humble or more loving? Do they provide contentment with the gifts that God has provided for you in this life? And the answer is no, they won't. When we think about the desires of the flesh, they destroy. They tear down the good things that God has given. They they pervert them so that they become objects for our own pleasure rather than gifts to be handled and received with reverence and devotion towards God. That flows from our faulty hearts and our fallen condition. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, and sexual immorality, and theft, and murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, and all these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. And so, as we bear the cross, 
of self-denial. We rejoice when the evil within our hearts is frustrated, even if it brings us personal discomfort or pain or sorrow or struggle. It's a joy when the sinful intentions of my fallen heart are frustrated. As St. James, he says it like this. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so the Spirit of God produces this in us, this reality, this comfort, this joy in the midst of our sorrows as we live by faith in the gospel of Christ. We know that when our flesh screams for and cries out in agony over the self-denial that we often have to use, the Spirit of God fills us with every good gift from God as we find our satisfaction in the grace of Christ. As Christ, Jesus peels us out from ourselves so that we're stopped focusing within and looking to the gospel for our hope and our joy and the salvation that Christ wins for us. We find satisfaction in the cross that he has borne for us. As we live in the gospel of Jesus, we lack nothing. As God has given us every good and perfect gift, he blesses us with life and salvation in Jesus' name. And in this, we can endure every denial of the flesh and its desires. And so, as we read our lesson from Acts chapter 5, we see that those two competing natures that dwell within us are on full display. As we have the desires of the flesh and we have the will and the work of the Spirit. They stand opposed to each other. St. Paul expresses this struggle wonderfully in Romans 7 as he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to, but the evil I want to do I keep on doing. And now if I do what I want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And so I find to be a law when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so then I myself serve the law of God in my mind and in my flesh I serve the law of sin. Do you see those two competing natures that Paul is wrestling against the law of the flesh, which seeks to prov uh, make provision for itself, bring pleasure to itself, and then the law of his mind, or the spirit that dwells within him. And as we read this evening, we see those two examples. We have that negative example of Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. Here we have a couple who entered into the communion of the early church. And outwardly, they joined themselves in the confession of Jesus. And I would assume that as they were baptized, as they heard the apostles preach, perhaps their faith was quite genuine. Yet their flesh did not want to be denied. 
And so then, as many in the church were selling all their possessions and laying the proceeds at the apostles' feet, they joined in. And yet their gift was not genuine. They lied about what was given, and many were given and laying these gifts at the apostles' feet because they had great love and joy in the gospel. They saw the needs of their neighbors within the church, and they gave. They saw the love and admiration that these people received, Ananias and Sapphira. They saw this, and yet they did not want to empty themselves. I want to note something. None were commanded to sell all they have and give it to the church. Many did for no other reason than that they delighted in the all-surpassing worth of the gospel. And yet Ananias and Sapphira were two-faced about this. They willingly propagated the illusion that their gift was as generous and faithful as everyone else's was, that they sold all that they had and gave all the proceeds to the church. Yet they held back some of the money for themselves. And here we see the flesh winning on two fronts. First, it was their desire for notoriety within the church. And second, it was their love of money. They simply could not deny themselves of either, and so they fell into great sin. And as we see in the text, they fell into great judgment. As they both fall dead, as they spoke their lies before St. Peter. And this is how the flesh works. The flesh has a desire, then the flesh embraces a sin to help it receive that desire. And so people have lust, so they commit adultery. People love money, and so they scheme and they steal. People want to feel important, so they bear false witness against others. People covet, so that they hate and murder. The desires of the flesh grow from a heart, and then that heart overflows to the hands, and to the mouth, and into the mind. As our thoughts become consumed, so that they are willing to do anything, they just get what the flesh once. And so we can lie and rationalize our sins as much as we want. God knows. If we are Christians, the Spirit afflicts our conscience when these things happen. And if you are a Christian, you'll find yourself in a perpetual state of unhappiness trying to make these provisions for the flesh. Because the flesh will not be satisfied. Its desires will grow within, and the sins will increase because the flesh wants to keep being fed. Your heart will either grow cold and hard to the Spirit of God, or you will be miserable under the affliction of your conscience. As King David talks about the weight of his conscience and his sin, he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. And so we see this with the church. As God's actions with Ananias and Sapphira taught the church to fear these impulses of the flesh. And though these events of judgment are frightening, they were good for the early Christians. Because it showed that God sees right through every time we try to rationalize our sin. We also have the positive example in our text. 
of the apostles. They were growing in respect and notoriety in Jerusalem, and at the same time, the high priest was growing in jealousy. He arrested the apostles and demanded that they stop preaching and stop doing miracles in the name of Jesus. But Peter and the other apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The apostles speak these words before the same council that killed Jesus. The apostles knew what these men did to Jesus. They knew that they had the power to imprison them and beat them and even pull some strings to have them put to death. They knew this because they saw it happen to their Lord. And just as Jesus was put to death for confessing that he is the Son of God, they could be put to death for confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. And they could have very easily, at that moment, saved themselves a great deal of trouble by simply conceding. Stop preaching in the name of Jesus. That's all they had to do to get the rulers of the Jews off their backs. It's not like they hadn't been other Jewish sectarian groups that would operate under the authority of the high priest and everybody just got along hunky-dory. They could keep the church going. It just wasn't going to be a Jesus church. This is often how much of the world now chooses to practice their Christianity. As the world does not approve of the word of God, it hates the law and finds the gospel to be utterly offensive. And so what does the modern church do? Well, it just tweaks the teaching a bit. They can still exist as an institution, but maybe they cease to be the true church. And why? Because the flesh can't stand the idea of irrelevance in the eyes of the world. People want to be accepted by the world. And yet even in their acceptance and friendship with the world... They will lose everything. As Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? The apostles couldn't do this. They were witnesses of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Christ told them, go and preach the gospel to the entire creation. And while they had the option to stop, it was not optional. The Spirit of God dwelling within them could not yield to this desire of the flesh. And why? Well, the gospel is their treasure. By faith, they saw things for what they were. Their life, their comfort, their wealth, any temporal, earthly blessing could not compare to the treasures that they had laid up for them in heaven by the grace of Jesus. He bore his cross for them. He suffered and died for them. And in him, they had the forgiveness of sins so that they lived as sons of the living God. In this, their earthly crosses, they seemed tiny in comparison. 
And St. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And so then, we see the apostles, after being imprisoned and questioned, nearly killed, and then beaten and released, we read one of the most striking and wonderful passages in the entire book of Acts. As then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. And it was a joy to be counted worthy to suffer for the gospel. That is an amazing thing to contemplate. Did the gospel of Jesus cause the prison to be less cold and dark and uncomfortable? Did the threats of the council seem less terrifying? Did the beatings hurt less? The answer is probably no. Yet they counted it a joy to endure it for the name of Jesus. And why? Well, their flesh didn't reign in their mortal bodies. Their flesh was being denied what it desired, and the Spirit of God at that time and in that moment gave them strength to endure what they had to for the sake of the gospel. Their flesh desired peace and comfort and freedom, and yet the Spirit of God could not deny Jesus. This is what it means to bear the cross. It is the refusal of self-indulgence that causes the flesh to scream while the flesh rejoices. And we see that happen with us. We bemoan in the flesh that sermon that lasts longer than 15 minutes. The flesh hates sitting through a hymn that's more than five verses long. The flesh can't stand how long it takes for the whole congregation to come up and receive communion as we have to sit here and wait. The flesh cannot tolerate that hour of Bible reading. The flesh does not want to stop and pray. The flesh does not want to seem weird when speaking to our neighbors about faith. The flesh does not want the label of Christian attached to it. Yet in all of these things, the Spirit rejoices. As the Spirit of God that dwells within you rejoices in receiving these gifts from God. Because they're good. They fill you with the grace of Christ. They communicate to you the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. And this joy in bearing the Christ cross comes only in the reality that Christ's cross, his cross, the cross, was endured for us. And so what can the flesh truly gain? Can it earn us something? Well, maybe some temporary comfort, but in the end, nothing but sadness, alienation, and sorrow. And yet the Spirit of God that dwells within us delights in Jesus above all things. 
As his cross gives us life, his cross brings forgiveness of sins and peace with God. And under that cross, we too can bear our own crosses. We can rejoice when we suffer for the name. We can delight in knowing that our flesh is being denied. We can delight in knowing that even as all the treasures in the world might be denied us and all the comforts of this life might be distant from us and all the fun and all the pleasure that we desire may be unattainable, we have Jesus. It's like the old hymn, Jesus' priceless treasure. Hence all worldly treasure, Jesus is my pleasure, Jesus is my choice. Hence all empty glory, what to me your story Hold with tempting voice. Pain or loss or shame or cross shall not from my Savior move me, since he chose to love me. Jesus has chosen to love you. Now bear your cross under him with joy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith, the life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen. We rise.